Welcome to Time After Time, a non-sponsored, highly judgmental podcast about time travel and love and friendship and the movies that bring them together into our living rooms. I'm Helena and I'm Paige and maybe in an alternate timeline you've already listened to this podcast and you loved it. Let's go. I uh, sound like I am a three pack a day smoker today because my <laughs> allergies okay? are starting to act up in the fall, oh, and uh, it's and she started smoking three packs. And today. I already, yeah, that's oh. true. so there's, there's that. All right, so three, two, one. Welcome, welcome to, to the... our podcast. Oh, I was gonna say welcome to the time machine. There you go. That yeah. Too. Um, I'm sorry, Vince, that was an inside joke because we were just, we were just (laughs) listening to the song, Welcome to the Renaissance from Something Rotten. Because we're very cool. (laughs) Um, because I'm performing in a cabaret and needed to learn some very difficult choreography. Do you want to advertise the cabaret page? Sure. I don't, I think by the time this comes out, the cabaret will have happened. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Actually, maybe not. Wednesday. No, it won't. But. It won't have happened? I don't, uh. It's coming out Wednesday the 29th, right? Yeah. Okay. Then no, I guess it won't, but it's it's fine. Um, if you want to watch me very badly dance and maybe mess up the words to Welcome no. to the Renaissance. Oh, you're going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. Um, Everyone should watch. From your couch, you can go to afterworktheater.com and, and get some tickets, but it's, um, we're having fun. No one can say we're not having fun. It's a, I love Afterworks work so uh i'm a a huge fan um but also uh, i'm gonna advertise if you want to do a show in new york city like you're not a professional actor i'm not a professional actor you just want to like hang out have fun do a show after work is a really great community so go to their website start join a show they should pay me for this advertisement (laughs) (laughs) to be clear we still don't have any sponsors on this podcast including after work theater and anchor keeps trying anchor keeps being like are you sure you don't want to record an anchor advertisement and i'm like we cannot be bought no we cannot it's it's a (laughs) non-sponsored podcast as you have you have higher standards than camp kaiju (laughs) (laughs) i will be recording an anchor plug after uh, this. <laughs> <laughs> great so that that voice that you hear is the voice of our dear friend vince hannam who is the uh face and producer of camp kaiju do you want to uh tell the listeners a little bit about camp kaiju oh do i please refer to them as time sluts though they like that yes they do hello time sluts this is camp <laughs> kaiju uh no um this is camp kaiju i started an Instagram like fan page thing for kaiju movies like Godzilla and those sorts of things, giant monsters. But my umbrella is very large. I just basically review and love talking about monster movies in general. So not just your traditional Japanese kaiju, but things like creature features, your Jawses, your Tremors, or your Universal Monsters, Frankensteins, Draculas, and and sometimes I venture into the realm of time travel, where Ooh. there are monsters galore. Yeah. Though I think that might be new for your podcast. I would um, say this is our first monster. I would not. We, no? The Tomorrow War. 
Oh, right. I forgot about the Tomorrow War, but I didn't like that one, so I blocked it out. <laughs> Did you see the Tomorrow War, Ben? I have not yet, no. Uh, okay, well. It's fine. I would say there are mo- alien sort of monsters in that. So humans can't be monsters. Like you, if, No. If you watch a really, um, I'm trying to think of, of a, a bad guy. Like the Joker is like, not a monster. No, no. And, it, and I mean, there's gray area too. Like I was just discussing with uh, a co-host of mine. Uh, like he was like, well, what about Michael Myers from Halloween? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Question. well, no, because he's just like a murderer. But there are entries in that franchise where it dives into the supernatural. And he right. is like more than human. So what if you're, what if it's a human possessed by a demon or possessed by the devil? Oh, I, I think demons count because it's supernatural. So so even if the person looks human and has human form, if they're possessed by a demon counts. I I think so. Okay. And this is, this, this is one man's monster podcast. So I I mean, listen, we have our own rules about time travel too. Time travel and like what... We started this being like time travel rom-coms and then it was like time travel romances because a lot of the movies aren't funny. And then we did the Tomorrow <laughs> War. Um, I, th- I feel like we got we got duped into the Tomorrow War. Though. We also That one wasn't our fault. And then we did like Love Wedding Repeat, which also got duped. Right. Because we count our own internal rules are sort of like somebody has to be aware they're time traveling. Yeah. For it to count. Mm-hmm. And we count time loops as time travel. And some right. people don't. Right. So, yeah, I get it. It's controversial. That's great. Yeah. I'm so excited. I love this podcast. <laughs> Thank I, you. I uh, am a, I'm a low-key fan. Um, I've listened You're a, to- a low-key time slut. <laughs> Do you like being called a time slut? I've Let's waited so in. long for you to call me a time slut. This is great. <laughs> great. Good. Um, yeah, well, we're so happy that you could do this. Yes. It's been a long time coming. Uh, we love having guests and especially uh, guests who are fans of the pod. And wear cool hats. And wear cool hats. Yeah, for and the And have their own audio setup. Um, yeah, definitely. This is a much better audio setup than my dad's. Uh, <laughs> for uh, for the listeners, uh, if you, you can't see Vince right now, but he is wearing a, a, fedora, we a fedora hat. Well, we can also... Um, link to uh vince's page this is his his camp kaiju uh outfit and it's really nice yeah all right so should we should we get into this movie this episode we're doing the time machine so there's a uh i will say before we do the plot summary there's a a a bunch of the time machine movies all based Mm -hmm. on the time machine by hd wells this is the 2002 version Yes, which we selected specifically because there's more of a romance in this one than in versions past. And um, the book. And in the book. So yeah. Paige read the book. I did. Did you finish I'm it? I'm so committed. Yeah, I read it's like It's like 80 pages. It's mm-hmm. not that impressive. But um, I, I read the Wikipedia summary of the book. That's so. <laughs> um, laughing if you can't hear it. Can I pause, actually? I, I want to have my book on hand, my copy, but it's in another yeah. room. So I'll be no ready. problem. Go. Okay. You you had read the book before? Yes, um, when I was a kid, and because it is so short, I've read it several times, including this past weekend mm-hmm. or this past week. I thought I should revisit it, and I'm really glad I did. 
So had you had you seen the movie before we decided to do this? No. I think maybe at some point in my life, but it didn't really leave an impression other than, oh, yeah, I might have seen that. Just because mm-hmm. it came out in 02, and I wasn't really watching those movies then. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say just because it came out in 02, and it was, like, popular, so you might have seen it in passing. Because I will say... Uh, Flash from the Past spoiler, it was number one in the box office the weekend it came out. Was it really? I'd never heard of it. I hadn't either. I, I did not know. I was like, oh, this is this was clearly a flop. Yeah. Because I feel like I would have heard about this. Wow, yeah. It seems like mm-hmm. it has had a pretty big budget. Yes. All right. Shall we summarize? <laughs> yes. So we open in 1899 where Alexander Hardigan, played by Guy Pierce, is an eccentric professor at Columbia University. He is late meeting up with his beautiful girlfriend, Emma, played by Sienna Guillory, I believe. But she loves him very much and easily forgives him, especially when he proposes. She accepts, but their romantic moment is cut short when a mugger tries to rob them and accidentally kills Emma. Four years later, Alexander is still distraught over her death, and we learn that he has spent the last four years creating a time machine to go back and try to save her. After some back and forth with a university colleague and his housekeeper, he tries out the time machine. He successfully makes it back to proposal night four years ago and quickly rushes Emma out of the park to avoid the mugger. Unfortunately, she then gets run over by a horse and buggy and dies anyway. Alexander realizes that she will always die no matter how many times he tries to redo that night. So he decides to go into the future where he assumes they will have better technology and more answers to find out how to change the past. He first travels to 2030 where a holographic librarian and truly the star of the movie named Vox 114, played by Orlando Jones, informs him time travel is not possible. He goes forward seven more years and finds himself in a world in peril. Everything is falling apart because humans tried to build condominiums on the moon and now the moon and now the moon is breaking and destroying the world. He is hit by some debris and passes out in the time machine, accidentally traveling all the way to the year 802,701. Luckily for Alex, by now the Earth has recalibrated and healed itself. He is being nursed back to health by the Eloy people, who appear to be living a primitive lifestyle on the side of a mountain. He is taken in by Mara, Samantha Mumba, one of the few Eloy who still speaks English, and her younger brother, Kaylin, uh, played by Omero Mumba, Interesting. Those two people. Yeah, we'll revisit last name. (laughs) Unfortunately, a few days into his stay, the Eloy are attacked by giant monsters known as the Morlocks, and Mara is taken. Determined to save her, Alexander convinces Kalen to take him to the Morlocks. Instead, Kalen takes him underground to the remains of the library, where Vox 114 is still functional and knowledgeable after 800,000 years. Vox tells Alexander how to get down to the Morlocks' lair. Alexander heads down there, but he is captured and thrown in a dungeon where he finds Mara. Also in the dungeon is a Morlock who looks more human than the giant monsters. He is referred to as Uber Morlock and is played by Jeremy Irons. He explains humans have evolved in different ways. The Eloi stayed above ground. The Morlocks went underground and became the giant monsters who hunt the Eloi for food and the more human-looking Morlocks who stay underground and control the giant monster Morlocks through telepathy. As you do. Uber Morlock can read Alexander's thoughts, so he explains to him that the reason he cannot save Emma is because her death is what caused him to build the time machine in the first place, so it is impossible for her to be saved by him going back in time with the time machine. We love. We love. Thank you for explaining the paradox. Love it. Uber Morlock also reveals that they brought his time machine underground while he was healing, so he should just get into it and leave since he got the answer he came looking for. 
Alexander gets into the time machine and starts her up, but at the last moment, pulls Uber Morlock in with him. He then hangs him out of the time machine as they whiz towards the future, rapidly aging Uber Morlock until he dies. On this journey, he ends up in the year 635,427,810, where the world is a wasteland with only Morlock caves in sight. He realizes he needs to go back and save the Eloy people. He goes back to 802,701 and frees Mara. He then jams up the time machine and creates some sort of weird time explosion. Uh, He and Mara escape back to the surface in time, but the time explosion presumably kills all the Morlocks and also definitely destroys the time machine. We see Alexander and Mara join hands and gaze over the landscape. Back in 1903, Alexander's colleague and housekeeper discover Alexander and the time machine are gone and discuss how they hope that wherever he went, he found peace. (laughs) Which brings us to Blast Blast from from the Past. So I actually, this is a very robust section. Really? I was a little surprised because like I said, I had never heard of this movie (laughs) and I was nine when it came out. Yeah, you'd think this would be like a a big one, but no. Especially for people who do a time travel podcast. You'd think, but we were only just getting to Um, it. Yeah. So first sort of most interesting, in my opinion, fact, the movie was directed by Simon Wells, who is the great grandson of H.G. Wells. That's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. he wasn't just like a nobody that they picked up and were like, <laughs> I know you're related to that guy. So um, he had done some directing before, but cartoons, uh, including oh. An American Tale, Fievel Goes West, oh. and oh. The Prince of Egypt. Oh, well, The Prince of Egypt oh. is very good. I think An American Tale's movies are also very good. Well, I don't know Fievel Goes West, so. I just feel like it gets mentioned a lot. Okay, great. Yes. He also worked as a story artist for a bunch of films, including our favorite, Shrek 2. Yes. And Madagascar. Ooh, Vince, would Shrek be considered a monster movie? Ooh. Ooh. You know, my first instinct was, nah. But then I thought I have shared a Shrek meme on my Instagram once. And the people definitely consider him a monster. At least in the beginning. The villagers, you know? I think think you could make the argument that it's a monster movie, for sure. All right. Well, if you ever do Shrek, we want to be guests. Yes, we do. Yes. We love Shrek. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, I'm considering getting some sort of Shrek tattoo. I just can't figure out what it would be. (laughs) Anyway... So yeah, so Simon Wells did most of the directing, but apparently in the last 18 days of shooting, he began suffering from extreme exhaustion, and um, the director Gore Verbinski was brought in to take over at the very end, but then Wells came back for editing and and post-production work. Wow, so like, probably because he's just used to being in a a cartoon studio. Yeah, he's like, I can't work with real humans. (laughs) Being on location is pretty exhausting, I get it. All right, fair enough. Uh, as Helena noted, the a- actors that played Mara and Kaylin had the same last name. Not a coincidence. They are actually brother and sister. Oh, that's nice. Aww. Which is nice. That's a fun time. Especially because when they said it was her brother, I was like, that's not your son? <laughs> In the movie. I don't know about you, but I assumed they were mother and son until she said that was her brother. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Vince? No, I, 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 I thought they were siblings or cousins or something to that fact yeah yeah i mean she would have been like a very young mom if that was her son because she wasn't that old yeah i would have believed it yeah i mean i would have believed it 
she could have been i don't know how old you are when you have kids or how fast you age in this world yeah that's a fair point do you think um, it would have been a stronger choice to have that be the mother a mother-son relationship as opposed to a sibling relationship i guess in the end it didn't really matter i just it felt like they maybe made the choice to make Mara a more viable love option. I think so, yeah. But in my opinion, mothers can be love objects, so I don't know. Yeah, right. I, I think you're right. That's why I was sort of like, yeah, it's probably her brother, because it was clear that she was going to be the the love interest, and we don't want her to have too much baggage. Right. <laughs> he did, yeah, and he did come across as more of a big brother to right. than the, the... Than a father. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we Which don't want her I, to have too much baggage. He can be a time traveler from the year 1903. <laughs> That's not too much baggage. That's not too much baggage. I'll just say, I think for my money, it would have been a stronger investment if if he could have presented a father figure, mm-hmm. a male spousal figure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It definitely also would have like raised the stakes when she yeah. said take Kaylin back to the future with you if you're giving up your son as opposed to your brother. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. We'll call someone. (laughs) Uh, Another interesting thing. So Jeremy Irons, probably the, I mean, the name I was most familiar with in this movie. Yeah, for sure. uh, Who played the Uber Morlock, had previously portrayed H.G. Wells. Oh. In the movie The Timekeeper from 1992. Does that need to go on our list? Is there love in it? Oh, that's a good point. I'll Google it later. All right, great. Put a pen (laughs) in that one. So there is a character in the movie named Philby, mm-hmm. uh, who's a character also in the book, um, and he's the one who pl- he's his colleague, right, uh, at the university. Anyway, so the man who had played Philby in the last Time Machine movie in 1960, named Alan Young, also appears in the 2002 version as a florist. Oh. And apparently, when Alan Young picked out his costume, which I don't know. In Why what was movies. he picking out his yeah. costume? <laughs> Letting that go. Uh, he found the same period shirt that he had worn in the earlier film, complete with his name written on the collar. Oh, that's nice. Wow. Yeah, I like that. But uh, also, I'm surprised that the last time machine, the last version of the time machine was in 1960. Well, I guess the last uh, mainstream version. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it seems like there were other... Uh, there's so many movies that are like based on either H.G. Wells or the Time Machine, but like are not the Time Machine. Right. Like the other one we did. The um, yeah, we did Time After Time. Time After Time. Yeah, which was based mm-hmm. on it, but was also like not actually the story of it. Right. It was based on the life of H.G. Wells and uh, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Very confusing. Wow. All uh, right. Yeah. Not sure if you've listened to that episode, but they were trying to do so many things. Yeah, they were doing so much. Um, <laughs> But yes, so in Time After Time, H.G. Wells invents a time machine and goes on this adventure, which then inspires him to write the book, The Time Machine. So it's not The Time Machine, but it's kind of like The Time Machine. Right, except he doesn't do anything he does in the book, The Time Machine. He right. only goes, he goes to the year 1972 or eight or something. Yeah, something like that. Some some year in the seventies, to you know, to capture Jack the Ripper who stole his time machine. Obviously, obviously, to escape persecution in the late eighteen hundreds. Well, yeah, it sounds like a movie I'd watch though. Yeah, it's a good time. It's it is a time. I actually think you would really enjoy it, Vince. Yeah. Anyway, so the the last cast related, actually no, I'll say the second to last cast related 
thing I have is Guy Pierce, who played Alexander, he wanted to do all of his own stunts. He did most of his own stunts and he got very frustrated when they said no. Well, they like it, it's not like a this is I never understand this with actors because it's like it's not a pride thing. It's literally an insurance thing. Yeah. Like yeah. we can't afford to like have you do this when you're not qualified to do it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's very silly. And exhibit A, he did a stunt where he tackled one of the Morlocks and he broke a rib. There you go. <laughs> you know, let the stunt coordinators have a job. They're it's there. It's true. They have a whole job. Yeah. Like, let them do their job. Also, ironically, Guy Pierce said he took this role because he wanted to take himself less seriously. Oh, my God. So he sounds um, great. He sounds like a fun time. Can I uh, just, like, I don't know if we'll get to it, but I just want to ask a quick question. Yeah. Do we- uh, I don't know. Is Guy Pierce English or American? Oh, I don't know. Oh, We're not going to get sure. We would, we would not have gone to that. Let's find if out. That helps. I'm going to just Google. I was going to say, it was unclear to me based on his voice slash accent that I didn't know where he was from. We also were like, oh, is he being English? And then we were like, wait, no one in this movie is. Right. Everyone in the, in the beginning sounded, we thought they were in England until someone yeah. mentioned Columbia University. Yeah. Oh my like, God. I'm so glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> no, no, no. We had the same thought. We were like, uh, what? <laughs> um, yeah, so Guy Pierce is an English-born Australian actor. Oh, well, that's why his voice sounded so weird. And then he was trying oh, to do okay. an American accent, but then also be, like, old-timey. Right. Oh, okay. All right. I think he shot himself in some knots there. Thing. Yeah. And then was like, I need to do my own stunts. <laughs> it's very God. serious. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I ever need to talk to Guy Pierce. He doesn't sound like my cup of tea, but I don't know. Maybe you'd like him. Maybe you guys are soulmates. No, I'm with Paige on this one. I don't need to meet him either. <laughs> um, and then the opening scene where we see a bunch of college kids in what is presumed to be, you know, 18, 1903 Columbia, uh, is, was shot at Vassar College in the fall of 2000. Cool. Um, and the students in the scene are actual students and the professors are actual professors. So everyone but... Uh, Guy Pierce and Philby are just students and professors that were on campus. That's fun. Um, and they shot other scenes with the students and professors that didn't end up making the film, but the students were all allowed to miss class during the shooting and were all paid for their efforts to be in the film, which is great. Okay. I love that. All right. What a good time. Yeah. Vassar's really small, so it must have been like a real big day on campus. Yeah. <laughs> so for our monster guy, the Morlocks were depicted using actors in costume wearing animatronic masks created by Stan Winston Studio, if that means anything to you. Um, and for scenes in which they run in all fours faster than humanly possible, Industrial Light and Magic created CGI versions of the creatures. So most of the time you see the Morlocks, it's actors with those weird green suits on, um, and then sometimes they were just entirely CGI. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It definitely, like, it feels like a really, like, really high budget for 2002 level of special effects. Yes. Like, it looks pretty good, but you can definitely tell where the, you see the seams of the CGI a little bit. Right. Well, also there was some fissures. Uh, the initial designs were, for the Morlocks by mm. the Stan Winston studio, were more faithful to the original book's description. Um, in the book, they're described as more like ape, ape-like creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the director and the producers wanted changes made to make accommodate human performers to make them seem more human-like. Um, which angered the original artists oh. in the Stan Winston studio. Uh, Can't take a note. And ultimately, the people in the studio were not happy with the way it came out, especially because 
they designed them in the book Vince as I'm sure you remember and Helena you remember from your Wikipedia reading naturally um the Morlocks only come out at night uh and so they were designed to be shot at night and in the movie they they come out in broad daylight so the artists didn't like the way they looked in broad daylight so yes the Morlocks in the book only come out at night because they're extremely light sensitive because they live underground which totally makes sense and in the book they're described as having like really enormous eyes and being that like eight like creatures so stan winston he worked on the terminator series the first three jurassic park movies aliens uh the predator films iron man edward scissorhands inspector gadget and he has four academy awards Damn, he's like the monster guy. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. You should have him on your show. <laughs> Stan, whole, my man. I guess is, is he a guy or is it just a studio? He is a he's a guy, and he has his own studio. I'm yeah. sure, like a creature shop. You know. Yeah, that's cool. I would love Very to cool. go to the creature shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could do an uh, on location episode of Camp oh Kaiser. holy shit that'd be very cool i'd watch that for sure <laughs> that's the only way you're gonna get me to watch <laughs> i'm just kidding um but yeah so ultimately the people who designed the monsters were not happy with the way they looked in the movies um but that's the way the cookie crumbles the way the i cookie guess crumbles. Yeah. uh the time machine itself the one we see in the film was apparently the biggest and most expense expensive prop ever to be built for a movie at that time whoa which I don't what? know what you consider like what's prop to scenery line it, is thin. So yeah, that's true. That's true. So in terms of scenery, probably not the most expensive, right. but prop wise, very yeah. expensive. Yeah, it looked uh, good. It did look good. It was very. We we commented on the aesthetic when it came on screen. We yeah. liked the aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't mention this at the beginning. Like how I review my films, I go like I talk about the good, the bad, and the downright campy features. <laughs> And one of the good aspects I did note for this was the the design of the time machine. It's a very um, steampunkish. I thought that was big in like the early two thousands. I think so. Yeah, I thought it was like steampunky without being like. Um, sometimes steampunk rolls over into like a real tacky. Like I don't know. It can roll over mm-hmm. into looking like kind of cheap, but this was like expensive steampunk, um, mm-hmm. which I really liked. I thought it was cool. It was not campy. Not campy. No. Apparently the machine incorporated Fresnel lenses. um, And Simon Wells got that idea from, because in the book, the time traveler, who doesn't have a name in the book, he's just called the time traveler, uh, is a professor of physical optics. So he used the Fresnel lenses as an homage, I guess, to that. That's nice. And Vox, our our favorite little guy, Love that guy. Vox was originally written as a robot, but Steven Spielberg was uh, making the movie AI at the time um, and had a very similarly designed robot in his own film. Um, Like all different kinds of robots, every kind of Vox they could create, Steven Spielberg, I guess, was already doing. (laughs) So the production designer was like, let's just do a hologram. Honestly, it's very effective. I I love Vox. Yeah. So a couple Easter eggs. I mean, the most obvious Easter eggs that have ever Easter egged. When (laughs) Alexander is talking to Vox about time travel in the library in 2030, 
he mentioned uh box mentions three real sci-fi writers isaac asimov harlan ellison and hg wells asimov wrote the end of eternity in 1955 about time travel also a lot of other sci-fi stuff but specifically about time travel um the end of eternity and um ellison wrote numerous science fiction scripts um which involve time travel including for the twilight zone and obviously hg wells wrote the time machine the book upon which this movie is based so it's interesting that hg wells exists within this world yeah yeah i thought so too um and then box mentions a time machine musical written in the year 2006 and starts singing a song uh which we loved such a musical does not exist unfortunately um yeah i know very disappointing but andrew lloyd weber very much does so (laughs) should we call andrew lloyd weber and ask him to write that musical i'm sure somebody told him about this moment yeah (laughs) or not <laughs> um, and now it's my favorite part of the blast from the past where we talk about 9-11. Oh my god. <laughs> what? What's happening? So this film, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Vince. Do you have thoughts on 9-11 you want to discuss? Uh no, the podcast just took a turn that I wasn't expecting, but I'm here for no. it. Well then you obviously don't listen. You haven't often listened enough. to the, all of the back catalog because 9-11 is for some reason a recurring theme. We don't know why. Yeah, I guess it was right for some reason 2000 the early 2000s was a hotbed of time travel romance movies and t- so 9-11 comes up a lot also and- we just like have trouble the reason part of the reason why it's such a recurring theme is like we have trouble with the fact that no one stops 9-11 right people need to use time machines oh, to stop yeah. 9-11 more often yeah specifically in i believe it's safety not guaranteed they go back to the year two- they want to go back to the year 2001 and no one mentions 9-11 and it's 2011 which seems strange yep yep i'm with you but anyway, so this movie was supposed to come out in December of 2001, but they moved it to March 2002 for two reasons. One is not 9-11 related. Apparently, they didn't want to compete with The Lord of the Rings, which was supposed to come out in December 2001. But also, they wanted to remove a scene. So during the 2037 moon-destroying New York City uh, part of the movie, there was a scene where it showed the moon crashing into buildings in New York, like more specifically, and apparently they wanted to take out the scene because it obviously it looked very similar to the September 11th attacks. Yeah, that was a smart yeah. move. Which is fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was one of the reasons they got pushed. They didn't just bring up 9-11 for fun. <laughs> uh, and then, like, yeah, yeah, like I said, the, the movie was number one during its opening weekend, March 8th through 10th, 2002. Uh, grossed $22 million, eventually earned $56 million in North America and $123 million worldwide. But the movie only holds a 29% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The critical consensus reads, this machine has all the razzle-dazzles of modern special effects, but the movie takes a turn for the worse when it switches from a story about lost love to a confusing action thriller. Yeah, I think that's pretty uh, astute. Yeah. So podcast over. Podcast over. We're done. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to note a difference between a, a change they made to the ending, and then we can sort of talk more, if you want, Vince, about some book-to-movie changes generally. So in the trailer, it shows Alexander standing in some sort of beautiful landscape with tall towers. It was meant to indicate a scene, I guess not the ending, an original scene towards the end. Uh, This was supposed to be a future where the Eloi had won and evolved into a technological race. But that scene was changed to the one where he's looking at the Morlocks caves because they wanted to create stakes for him to go back and save Mara. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So 
IMDb summarizes the differences between the books, book and the movie as such. Some differences between the book and the movie include Alexander is never given a name in the book. The narrator only calls him the time traveler. The time machine is built purely for scientific exploration in the book, not to change the past like in the movie. Um, as mentioned, there is no romantic plot in the movie in the book unless mm-hmm. you count his weird thing with Lena, which we can talk about. Um, the time traveler escapes the Morlock by way of the time machine in the book and returns to his own time before going on another time journey. In the movie, like we said, he just he he never returns. He's stuck in eight hundred and two thousand and change. But he seems pretty psyched about it. Yeah, he seems pretty pleased to be there. The book is like a frame story. There's a scene in whatever year it's supposed to be. Is it 1903 in the book? I don't remember. Around there. I'm not sure. Where he's telling them about the time machine, this group of people, um, and then a few days later they come back and he returns all haggard and then tells them the story of what happened in the time machine. And then at the end, it's another frame scene where, um, you know, post him telling the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we it's it's all here not see so i understand how that why they couldn't necessarily be <laughs> completely faithful to the book um i mean we can talk about this more in our feminism section uh where i took biggest issue with was the book was notable and noted at the time for having a very clear political message and this movie in my opinion Does did not, not. <laughs> no Mm-mm. um if anything, the political message that they're giving us, they don't they're not making it clear, but we can what we can read from it is like close to the opposite, I feel. It is it's just interesting because in the the way it's framed in the movie, you feel like the Eloy are the second class citizens and the Morlocks are the first class mm-hmm. citizens. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it's implied that the Eloy the people who stayed on top of the land were the first class citizens and they sent all their the workers underground. And yes, and and to that point, that's um that's the time traveler's initial theory. But then by the end, he does realize that the Morlocks are harvesting the Eloy. Right, but I believe what he thinks at the end is the Eloy stayed above ground when the when these this sort of division started. The Eloy stayed above ground, and. The Morlocks were their workers who lived underground. So the Eloy yeah. were like the aristocracy who like lived above ground and had all their needs taken care of and wanted for nothing, which is why they sort of devolved into less intellectual creatures. Mm-hmm. And the Morlocks um, were their workers. And when the, the Morlocks as workers ran out of food source, they began harvesting the Eloy. But it wasn't initially the Eloy were the aristocracy and the Morlocks were the workers. And then they, in the book also, there doesn't seem to be a vast difference in Morlocks. It seems like they're all sort of the same monsters that hunt and eat the Eloy. Whereas in the movie, in the movie there, like we said, Jeremy Iron plays an Uber Morlock where they have these giant monsters that do the hunting and then the uber morlocks are like their controllers controllers yeah mm-hmm. that that was confusing to me because yeah it was it was more like humans evolved into three different races rather than mm-hmm. two um mm-hmm. because there were the the scary monster ape-like morlocks as created by stan winston and then there was like jeremy irons who looked like um he looked like the the game of thrones um yeah 
right? Winter. He looked like what was that? Yeah. What was that guy in Game of Thrones? Um, what were they called? The 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 frost people. That's not the true. frost people. He looked like a frost person. <laughs> yeah, that's not what they were called, but that's what I'm gonna say for from now on. Totally. No, um, I loved his makeup in in that with like the brain spine thing. Yeah, like that brain spine was, so was very cool. Not part of his back. Gross. Yeah, he had he had a super big brain that went all the way down his back, <laughs> um, which is how all of us should aspire to be. I, I thought Jeremy Jeremy Irons did a good job, but uh, it was really they left all the exposition to him. Yeah, we were watching the when he goes forward. Um, we kept being like, Mara, can you explain what's happening, or like, can someone explain what's happening? We are engaged, but we are losing interest because we do not know what's happening. Yeah. It just felt like, yeah, there was a long time with no exposition. And then all of a sudden, all of the Jeremy Irons was like, mm-hmm. here you go. <laughs> and only some of it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, we're, we'll get into that. Do you have any other, do you have any other book first movie thoughts before we hop into our next category? I wanted to add to your trivia bits that, because I just learned that this week. This was the first instance of the of time machine being a coined term in yeah. our lexicon. Yes. I think that's it so all cool. It's very cool. Yeah. We did we did discuss that when we were talking about time after time because I did mm. some very uh brief HG Wells research. But since apparently not everyone listens to every episode in order, that is yeah, good to know I- for the listeners of this episode. Yes, this is the time machine, the book was the first use of referring to something as a time machine, which is very cool and very important to our lives. Yes. Yeah. And then, first of all, I'm going to keep um, digging this hole deeper when I talk about episodes I haven't seen of your podcast. <laughs> That's, so, it's fine. I'm just going to keep... I'm gonna, will keep dragging you. Yes, I will keep dragging you oh, and um, everyone who doesn't listen to every episode, but in reality, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> in a reality. Not this one, though. Not this one, but one of I was just going to add that I really like in the book, in terms of the, the framing, in the book, at the end, he comes back, he tells the story, and then he goes off again into time. Mm-hmm. And our narrator, Philby, if you will, he's like, I, I was waiting for sorry. him. What? Philby is not I, not the narrator because the narrator refers to Philby at one point. We never get the, a name for the narrator. Oh, right. But Philby is the is another the guy friend in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. The Philby's the friend in the movie and a person who is at this gathering where the time traveler tells the story. Right. Yeah. Is the narrator. Yeah. Not the same. But in the movie, you're supposed to think like he would be our narrator. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the book, the narrator is just like, and I kept waiting and it was three years later and he never showed up again. Yeah. And I don't know where he is or what he's doing. And I just thought that was a very romantic, like, way to, mysterious way to end the, the book, yeah. the story on. It's interesting in time travel history that he doesn't come back. Because I just feel like that's not the norm anymore in time travel movies and time travel rom-coms. Just in general, I guess not in general, but like, I do feel like, okay, so if the, if the person that we're following is the person who takes the time machine i don't know i feel like more often than not they're like i need to go back to my time yeah i agree with that there's a definite um 
a choice towards if you are from a time, you belong in that time. And there's a reason you're in that time. Um, but I like the idea. I like the ambiguity. I think that's nice. Yeah. I thought, I think it's a, it's a bolder choice than to just yeah. tie it up neat, 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 neatly with a bow. Maybe it's a, a result of like, a, you know, sort of the way that movies in our time, the, it's like a blockbustery thing. Yeah. Like the general public wants answers. This right. is such a blockbuster movie. Yeah, this this has the feel of like we're gonna make a million bajillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, Tomorrow War had that feel too. Yeah, I don't like that feel. Yeah, no. there's something like anti artistic about it. I think artifice, artifice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Shall we? I think we shall. Magic, science, just a dream. Uh, so this is the category where we talk a bit about the how and the whys of the time travel. Um, this one is is very clearly science. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, a time machine, the first time machine. The first time machine. And uh, this is another one where he, uh, similar to the last movie we did, this is another one where he is motivated by grief essentially and to build a time machine it is it's so similar um the last movie we did was time freak and he also after a breakup not a death after a breakup he this physics genius spends weeks building a time machine in in like a storage unit lab thing and Mm -hmm. yeah it was a very similar vibe here where yes his wife emma dies or his fiance emma dies um and he builds this time machine takes four years, which feels more realistic <laughs> uh, than a couple weeks. So the why the why is pretty clear. The how is as clear as it can be when you're doing science. Mm-hmm. I liked that they didn't um, really explain. They didn't do any science mumbo jumbo at this time. They were like, I, lo- I do love the science mumbo jumbo though. I don't know. Sometimes I, maybe I've grown a bit tired of it in my old age. I'm kind of like, okay, like you're doing the mumbo jumbo thing. Like you could just be like, it's a time machine. I built it because I'm smart. Yeah. Can I be the tiebreaker between you two? Yes, yes please. please. <laughs> um, I could have used a bit more science mumbo jumbo. Ha. <laughs> Compared to the book, like in yeah. the book, he, he explains that time kind of travels around him and he has to be careful about occupying the same space as another object in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that raises the stakes and makes it interesting and i didn't know how does he know he's not going to occupy the same space he doesn't doesn't. he said he when he's talking when he's telling the story he's saying he real he's realizing like mid time jump he's like i I, wherever i land i'm just hoping there's not a building there yeah (laughs) that's cool i i kind of like that yeah um and and it is interesting because he explains it as you know time is the fourth dimension right and we can move we can move about it takes work to move about in every other direction, right? Like you can't just jump and stay in the air. We had to invent a that time a hot air balloon mm-hmm. to stay in the air, but you can do it with mechanisms. So it's, he feel he feels like time is the same way. Oh, okay. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It's, it's science mumbo jumbo but it's not like, and now it's the thrust manipulator that I, you know, I don't like that. Yeah, I love that. Right. Honestly, I, I'm, yeah. yeah, we'll agree to disagree. Because I fine. love when they're like, the calibration of the thrust manipulator is 4.2. <laughs> Stop Oof. it with that fuck. 
I guess if he uh, was worried about running into something, he should have jumped in the ocean. Wouldn't that be the best way to avoid that? And then you drown. No, but he could like do it on a... Oh. He could have like floaties on the time machine. All right. Well, That's how this, I would do this it. This book was written in the very late 1800s, early 1900s. I so. like where you're going, though, Helena. Yeah. I'm just saying when I when I build my time machine, it I'm will, gonna it will float. It'll be a boat. It'll be a boat. Like um safety not guaranteed. Yeah, I think that's a good way of doing it. Yeah. Okay. You still could hit another boat. <laughs> I suppose, but the chances are much lower than like Or like a whale. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to hit a whale. That would be very sad. Yeah. <laughs> Helena. All right. Well, I don't know. Or you don't know how much like erosion has happened. You could end up in like the middle of the ocean. That'd if be you're fun, going eight hundred thousand years in the future, well, the whole Earth could be water by then. We don't know, right? Yes, I do. Like in the in the book, they very much do not account for any sort of climate change. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, did you say the book. I said the book. Yes, and the movie because if he's in New York, it's just as susceptible to rising oceans as mm-hmm. London. Yeah, that's so, a fair point. And a glacier came in at one point, and I was like, "How? Okay, he's buried under a glacier now." <laughs> I, I don't i'm not gonna buy that but i'll roll with it <laughs> i did like at least in the movie it was human created catastrophe like mm. in the movie yeah yeah the humans were trying to colonize the moon and Which i thought was very funny yes and <laughs> the moon was like no thank you i will destroy yeah. you now although in the book when he goes he goes like then millions of years in the future for funsies mm-hmm. and uh then all of a sudden it's getting the sun is dying yeah that's something that's what happens right but yeah i did think yeah they definitely didn't it was also funny to me in 20 so i was like in 2030 we could all still be wearing masks indoors no one here is wearing a mask (laughs) oh yeah i that was a a slight critique i just thought if you're gonna have flying cars if you're gonna do like the future tropes you have to go further than 2030 like and this movie being made in 02 doesn't have an excuse like it's not far enough out we we know that we're not going to be there in 30 years it's just not going to happen and as much as i hope everyone is wearing jumpsuits all the time in 30 years or not even 30 well now nine years i don't think that's gonna happen i mean maybe the way fashion is going i could see it there's a lot of jumpsuits (laughs) yeah that's true but i did like in the movie i like the aesthetics of how they showed him going through time Mm -hmm. um they showed some flowers growing and wardrobes changing. I thought that was, it was visually pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. I think this whole movie was pretty visually pleasing, except for like the CGI, the CGI uh, monsters. Monsters. Yeah. It had nice aesthetics. I don't know. I also, I liked the way it spoke about time travel at the, towards the end. I think it's Uber Morlock basically says like, we all have time machines. Those that take us back are memories. Those that carry us forward are dreams. Well, that's nice. It's pleasant. Okay, we're moving on to what, what have you done? done? So this is we talked sort of about time travel ethics, plot holes, consistency, more really potpourri, anything that's not like romance or feminism politics specific, go for here. And I'm okay. gonna let you I'm gonna let you begin, Vince, because you're you're bursting. Yeah, give it to us. Oh my dykes are bursting. First of all, I thought Guy Pierce was I didn't quite know what he was doing. I thought <laughs> he was not taking himself seriously and breaking his ribs is what he was doing. 
Yeah. And okay. Okay. I've got it. So I thought he was doing, he was trying to play like a nerdy type scientist, almost like, um, like a honey, I shrunk the kids, Rick Moranis type deal. Yeah. However, he looks like a Brad Pitt type. Like he's, he's a hunk. And I thought he was trying to play against type and failing miserably. I agree with that. Um, and I think that for me, it ends up because of that, it ends up landing in this like weird Indiana Jones kind of place. And I was like, why am I? I yes. Why are we watching Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones? Like it, Indiana Jones, but like less interesting. Um, not only not only Guy Pierce, but the tone of the movie also was. Yeah, it was like this old romance and then it was, you know, time travel. And then at the very end, it, it and then it was a monster movie and then it was an action thriller. Yeah, they were trying to do the most. And then it felt like Pocahontas. There were very mm. there were various points where I was looking at him and Mara like, are we watching Pocahontas? Yeah. The we'll we'll talk about this yeah. more, but the white saviorism popped out. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yes, I agree. I don't really know what Guy Pierce was doing. I don't think he knew what he was doing. He clearly didn't take this movie super seriously if he thought this taking this role meant he was taking himself less seriously. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I he didn't make that much of an impression on me, to be honest. I thought yeah. he was just like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Classic mediocre guy. Yeah, he was just a guy. Okay. Yeah. Guy piercing through time. <laughs> That's very good. Good one, good one. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the the overarching sort of I feel like, you know, time travel there's a few tropes. One of them is sometimes you can change the past, sometimes you can't, right? right. This movie mm-hmm. was very clearly doing one of those you can't actually change the past things. And I really liked that we got an explanation for that. Like, it was the kind of explanation that I would like injected into a lot of other movies we see that don't yep. deal with this paradox that, you know, you you built your time machine because of Emma's death, so how could you have saved her? Uh, and... Uh, Uber Morlock says, you are the inescapable result of your own tragedy, just as I am the inescapable result of you. For this podcast in particular, I, I, it felt like he was speaking directly to us. Yeah, I think we actually cheered when he said that because yes. we don't often get explanations that are that tidy. Usually yeah. they mm-hmm. like do some sort of real runaround, but this was great. I really liked it. Right. Um, uh, I didn't understand why he stayed when she died. I didn't understand why he stayed for the funeral part. You already did that. It sucked. Don't stay for her funeral. I also didn't get why he immediately knew that it would happen every single time rather than it being like two freak accidents. Eh, I I, I think he's just very smart. And you know that she dies on that night twice. Like This is probably one right. of those things. A stupider person might go back and do it a few more times, but he's just too smart for that. I also don't think that his reasoning for then going forward made a whole lot of sense because he was no. like, oh, well, I can't change the past. So like if he had just been like, well, I do have this time machine though. So I think I'm just going to like go see what's up in the future for fun. Right. Or go hang out with Emma three years, like three years before she died. Sure. And enjoy time with her if you miss her. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I don't know if we, I don't know if we really found this out, but what happens to him in the past? Like if he goes back, four years to that night did he like 
lock himself in a closet? Like, what's that paradox? What happens with the old him? I think based on, so he, when he and Emma are on the street and he says, Emma, go home. I'm going to show up in a couple hours and be very confused about why I didn't show up in the park. And it's fine. So I think what is meant to be implied is similar again to Time Freak, where as soon as he goes back, he is the only one. He is he takes over whatever he was doing. And then as soon as he leaves, whatever version of him from four years ago takes over. Are you sure? Or is it that he arrived earlier than the past version of oh. him? And the physical past version of him also exists. That makes more sense. I'm going to go with that. Okay. Vince, Vince? what's your uh, opinion there? <laughs> it was unclear. And I had the same thought. Like, oh, this isn't like other time travel stories where it becomes a problem of running into your past self. Which, hey, for simplicity's sake, like, that's fine. I like it that he's just one entity traveling through time agreed i i think i prefer it that way um but But also i do think helena's i think yours makes more sense since the time machine isn't where he was it's not like like in time freak they just literally jumped back into their bodies i think your way makes more sense since he took the time machine based on the time machine yeah based on the way that the time machine itself works i think there's two of him and i think he was just like you said early to meet emma they ran out of the park and so by the time Old him old gets him there. showed up. They were gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think you're correct. Yeah. Um. That's fine. I and the other thing is, I'm glad they didn't dwell on it because ultimately, like the main story of this needed to get going. Like he needed right. to start jumping to the future because I was starting to get very invested in Emma and like I'm mm. still invested in Emma. Like that's still that's still the love story I'm invested in. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What other consistency issues did you have, Vince? Well, I have one about Vox. I love the character. Like, I love that conceit. I, when we first meet this character, I thought, love him, great. He's a little sassafras. And we love that he was annoyed by the people he was supposed to be helping. Which, like, I love, but if I were in the real world, I would say this is a very rude museum and I will <laughs> be back here again. <laughs> or is it a museum or a library? It's I think the, it's the public library. Yeah. Okay. But still, yeah. like why still. would you program a, a computer thing <laughs> to be rude to you? <laughs> I thought someone it was, was funny though. Someone was pranking. <laughs> someone in the coding department was pranking. And then obviously the plot hole in the future when he comes back is... What is the power source for this thing? Yes, <laughs> what is it? Seriously. Okay, the only thing I could come up with, my very stretched hypothesis. So uh, in the future, there is one guy who has escaped the Morlocks. That's why Kaylin takes um, Alex down originally to where Vox is, because that's where the one guy who escaped the Morlocks ended up. And... So there's one guy who escaped the Morlocks. Vox is like, I had a friend. We would talk all the time. Then he mm. died. It was nice having a friend. So the only thing I can think of is that Vox is solar powered or mm-hmm. there's some power source that the random guy who escaped the Morlocks was able to like find his, his box, his like solar power box or his like mm-hmm. outlet that gets plugged into and figure out how to rejig him up. So you think that 
that Vox was like unplugged for. Mm-hmm. See, okay, there's a hole there though because Vox seems to know everything that's happened between 2037 and 800,000. But so he could know he that know from his that? random guy friend. Why would that guy who's <laughs> an Eloy know everything that happened? They seem like they don't maybe have a the whole Mor- lot of history. Maybe the Morlocks told him while he was chained up in their dungeon. I don't buy it. I think that Vox has been running <laughs> continuously. There's some power source we don't know about that I, we will yeah. have in 2037. I would buy that it was solar power if he wasn't underground. Yes. Underground. He could have been solar powered so easily. Yeah, so they easy. chose not to. It could have just <laughs> been like a light shaft coming in. <laughs> But no, they no, he's he's a ghost at this point. Like he's yeah, just that's true. He's haunting. Yeah, he's basically he's haunting. That would have been cool too. Like yeah. Vox was a real person in twenty thirty seven or whatever. And now he's a ghost. He's just a ghost. It would have been as believable. It's yes. true. Yeah. Yes. The power source thing did also really get to us. I really wish again it could have been so easily solved if there was just any light coming in and we could have been like he's solar powered. But also the fact that he, his like physical, uh, like hologram, his physical hologram form is like projected onto this glass panel essentially. And I don't know. I just, I don't buy that that has been around for that long and survived for that long. Like there's no way. Well, we didn't buy also all the signs. Oh yeah. All the New York signs that are just out, they are out in the open air would definitely have eroded and in some capacity in 800,000 years that was funny like oh tiffany's that's yeah. that's survived. <laughs> yeah no problem no problem it's it's out in the sun people are touching it 800,000 yeah. years yeah it's a fine. moon collapse all good <laughs> like 800,000 years is a really long time yeah right like mm-hmm. think about that and again there was a glacier that yeah. destroyed everything <laughs> Yeah, that was a problem for me, for sure. It's so long that I don't know how to like say that year. The year 802 right. two, four, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's yeah. too long. Yeah. And I feel like we would not still be on. No one's going around being like it's the year 802,482. Also, the fact that they're like English. We speak English because it was a, you know, our yeah. an ancient language. It's an ancient language. No, you don't know what that language. We don't is. even speak Latin yeah. anymore. No, right. that was a couple thousand years. Or the same type of English that people spoke in, like in the sixteen hundred, four hundred years yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. there's no way that we would understand them. Yeah. No, and in the book, obviously, well, in the book, he doesn't. He is unable to communicate. Right. Like he has to learn their language. Which maybe that would have been a more interesting choice in the movie. Yeah, like, maybe, but then we don't like the... reading subtitles. And also, he was the protagonist. He was white man was the protagonist in the movie. You know what I mean? Wasn't white man right. the protagonist in the book? A white man was, but in this movie, I think white man was. Ah, yeah. interesting, interesting distinction. Yeah. And I also had an issue with the back the Uber Morlock the. Spoke perfect English, but just because he stayed underground, his his species stayed underground. They all speak perfect English. Their language stopped evolving. Yeah, I well, guess he so. Could read, he could read minds, so I believed that he could like pick up English through mind reading. Oh, that's fair. I, I mean, I guess, but being able to read minds wouldn't like if your thoughts were in Spanish, I could read your mind, but I still wouldn't necessarily understand your thoughts. That's I don't true. know. Maybe that's how the his particular mind reading works. Okay, I can understand thoughts. Um, the last thing I want to say about Vox is sort of what we were talking about. So at the end, they had him reading passages from Huck Finn. 
to the kids, which I, I was so happy for Vox uh, <sighs> that he got a happy ending, yeah, regardless nice. of, of whether his storyline made sense. I was happy he got a happy <laughs> ending. But also, I was like, of all the books, I yeah. mean, I guess at least you have a black actor who you know will be saying, like, you know he's going to say the N-word at some point to those kids. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Only seven pages in. He's got to get there. is full of the N-word, Helena. No, I know. It's just... That was one instance of like, oh, this is a very Eurocentric, yeah. white... Yeah, totally. Like, Huck Finn, come on. You could have picked anything else. You could have picked the time machine. You could have picked any book from the H. past. Because H.G. Wells exists in yeah. this world. Yeah, that's true. And it, and he's reading to them, again, in English. They all, they all must learn English. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's a bad time. That's the ancient language that they all learn. Yeah, of it's course. It's a head scratcher. Oh, also, I remember asking during the movie, can people see his time machine as he's traveling? The book explains that they cannot because mm. he's going faster than the, the speed of, like, the speed that you could see. Okay, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, similar to in Clockstoppers. Yeah. Yeah, he's going so fast that you can't see him. Mm-hmm. It was a question I had in the movie that the book actually gave an answer to, so... Oh, I also don't know how they all like climbed those ladders all the time without falling off. I would immediately fall off and die. Well, that that's yeah. how they were born and raised. Yeah. Also, there was an amazing part where he like free climbs down like a a very sheer cliff face, like yes, uh, maybe <laughs> three hundred feet. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not sure how he developed that skill so fast, but because he's Indiana Jones, he's he literally he's Indiana Jones. That's, that was the part where I was like, oh, so it's Indiana Jones? Okay. And yeah. another, like, so the Eloy live on these cliff faces because yeah. I made the jump that, oh, they're protecting themselves from the underground Morlocks because they're on the cliff faces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're believing that, then why do they go so far inland to, like, have this celebration party thing when they yeah. know they're putting themselves in danger? That also, was we very don't- unclear. Yeah, I also, and we don't know what that is. It seemed like they were implying, by being so high up, it seemed like they were implying the Morlocks couldn't climb, but then they, they climbed. <laughs> They've created these very beautiful tribute windmills, windmills yeah. to mm-hmm. their dead loved ones, the Eloy. And so at one point, Alexander's trying to escape a Morlock and climbs up it, and the Morlock can just follow him. So I'm like, I thought I thought the windmills were going to like come into play as like mm-hmm. a thing they've created that's like, anti-Morlock. But like a tribute and also helps protect them when they're on land. But that was not the case. No, I I don't understand. They don't, they also like seem to have no plan when it comes to like defending themselves from the Morlocks. Like you'd think this would be a regular occurrence. I mean, it clearly is a regular occurrence. But for some reason they're like, oh no, we have zero plan. We have no idea how to, how to save ourselves. Right. Which makes sense in the book because they are depicted as these frail, like, Mm-hmm. way flight creatures sure and in the book they do have a like they are fi- they know enough to know they're fine during the day and they're not fine at night mm-hmm. and so they all like huddle together inside at night they, yeah there seems to even be more of a plan just an instinctively like like an, an evolutionary good, night is bad right it's yeah. like it's that's what the, yeah that's evolution is if you you as a species figure out how to survive against predators because otherwise at least somewhat (laughs) yes yeah Yeah, no they they didn't have a plan in this and also they broke the rule in the book of the morlocks only come out at night so it just it didn't really make sense and uh i did not like that part no and 
there was no reason given why Morlock, the Morlocks come out at any particular time. Like, yes, Uber Morlock controls them. So he says when they go out and when they don't. But it's like Mara at one point is like, they're early. Like, it seems like they've agreed on a schedule with the Uber Morlock or something. Mm-hmm. And then that's never explained. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that like could have that very easily could have been explained and would have like increased the enjoyment of the movie. I feel had we mm-hmm. gotten an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. And and then also at the end, and again, we can get into the White Savior stuff in a bit, but I just, <laughs> like, from a logic perspective, did not understand how he thought he was helping. First of all, when he, like, grabs the Uber Morlock and is like, I'm going to kill you. I'm like, well, all the other Morlocks are just going to come and eat Mara. Like, you're not helping her. Right. And then, <laughs> And then he does some sort of time again one i do not understand what the explosion was i don't understand what the time machine explosion was uh it was a time explosion it was a time explosion i don't understand how it affected all the morlocks and none of the eloy who were just standing on top of this time explosion yep um and was that the only morlock colony in the whole world yeah is this the only did he happen to drop down in the only place where there are humanoid creatures yeah mm-hmm. Anyway, any thoughts on any of that? Anything yes. that happened in the end? Make any sense yes. to you? So this was just, again, one person's take on the ending. And okay, so like you, when the Uber Morlock was explaining things, I found it enlightening. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, he's ostensibly the villain, but he's not, he's coming across very practical and reason, like, Almost yeah. saying, you need to leave. Like, I'm going to let you go. Yeah. And yeah. he does. And then I thought, wow, what, does the movie have the, the boldness to make a strong choice and say that you can't save everybody you love and you're just going to go back to where you came from? I, and I was like, I yeah. wish. But then I thought it was inexplicable why he returned. Like, yes, I know he went to save Mara. But, like, he didn't have to. He already made that choice. It just seemed unmotivated. Yep. In the book, he can't save Lena. So, in mm-hmm. the book, uh, for those of you who didn't read the Wikipedia summary, um, <laughs> the Eloi are very simple childlike creatures. Um, he saves this one named Lena from drowning, um, and she sort of becomes, like, attached to the hip to him. It reminds me of, like, having a pet dog. Like, she follows him everywhere. He takes her yeah. around with him. There's not, um, like, a romance aspect to it? I don't think so. No, I don't, I mean, no. I mean, he, like, kisses her on the forehead. Okay, like, so, yeah. It seems more like a child or, like, a dog than mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. sort of... Vince, you can correct me if I'm wrong. She's very small. Uh, he carries her around. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, And then, long story short, there's a forest fire, and she dies in the forest fire. And he's, like, sad about it. He felt, said, like, he felt sort of sad and alone. But he, like, gets over it very quickly. Because he's, like, you can't, you can't save everybody and at least she didn't get eaten by morlocks i feel like it could have been cool too to have like a tragic story on either end where it's like he couldn't save his fiance in the past and he also can't save this woman in the future and like he just has to go back and live his life knowing that he just maybe the lesson should be like don't try to save everyone (laughs) white people yeah (laughs) um i would have loved that but yeah a little too bold for for 2002 blockbuster right although again if simon wells had any of his grand great grandfather's like political balls for lack of a better word yeah (laughs) for sure 
H.G. Wells was rolling over in his grave. So before we move on to the romance, let's talk a little bit about these monsters. We have a monster expert here. Um, well, they're fun to talk about, not necessarily for like great reasons. They're they're very campy. Yeah, <laughs> um, they're bad. My my uh, first thought was the orcs in Lord of the Rings. Yes, much more similar to the orcs. Also, never seen Lord of the Rings. Well, so, if like, you do, you'll we'll talk go... about that. <laughs> oh, the orcs look like the Morlock from no, just kidding the two thousand two time machine. So I thought that was. Maybe uninspired, but whatever. Like maybe they could have been more bestial, because they did see, they did come across as humanistic, which is fine. Um, the 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 like the costume, I guess, if you will, the practical effects were good. The I had a, I had a real issue. I laughed out loud every single time. What did you think about their their roar? They had a very vocal. Oh, roar. fun fact! It was a bull roar. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I I caught on right away, and I was like, I can no longer take this movie seriously. <laughs> the they sound like charging bulls, which I just feel like was a lazy part on the sound, sound person. Yeah, you they know? could have taken that idea and made it more interesting for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I felt like they were they were they were more silly than scary to me to be honest mm-hmm. like i didn't think they were i didn't think they were particularly like terrifying and so when everyone was running and being afraid of them i was like these are like i guess it would be scary if it was genuinely coming towards you but they're kind of silly the only scary thing about them was their size yeah yeah and their speed i yeah. i did like how fast they were yes yeah. Yeah. So it was sort of like you can't the speed was sort of like you can't outrun them. So I guess you can outrun the other people that you're with um, <laughs> or you can fight back. And so we were sort of like. If you all again and there were more Eloy than there were so many walks. So it was again, very much like, a, you know, if we're take if we're if we would go in with any sort of political message, you know, mm-hmm. the the many, right. the many small ones versus the the few big guys fight back create a giant net yeah have some something. kind of emergency plan for work together like, don't just run faster than the person next to you <laughs> yeah um, and i liked how the morlocks came out of the sand that was cool which i thought was cool but then it leads to a plot hole like well the whole world's not covered in sand so <laughs> Why are the Eloy going to this particular sandy spot for their celebration? They should live on a mountain or somewhere with rocks or what have you. Or stay in their weird cliff homes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they were out there harvesting food or something. They were like just building weird windmills with no purpose. Which never came into play. If you're gonna, it's it's the Chekhov's gun, right? If you're gonna build giant windmills, they need to do something. Yeah, they do. (laughs) I wonder if there's a deleted scene. Like I, the fact that, oh. that I thought he was going to climb up it and the Morlock wasn't going to be able to get him. And I was going to be like, oh, that's the windmills. That's what they're for. Which would have been fine. I don't understand what the fight scene between him and the Morlock was. It was just like to distract us while a Morlock grabbed Mara. Like he could have been on top of that thing, escaping the Morlock and then seen the Morlock grab Mara. Like, right. I don't understand what that fight scene was. 
They yeah. just they wanted to make him Indiana Jones, and so they had to right. have another fight scene. Yeah, and so that, like that way, I agree with that. You know, the Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus, where it was like you were really, they really were like, now this is an action fight monster movie, and you lost the you lost the thread, guys. <laughs> yeah, this thread was all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> In the book, he has fire, a legitimate weapon against these monsters. Who are scared like, of light, who only yeah. exist in the dark. And even if they... Okay, so the movie makes a choice. Fine, they're in the daylight. But even still, fire would be such an effective weapon. A torch. Uh, something. In the book, he finds, like, gunpowder or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe Vox has resources to gunpowder. Like, anything. Anything would have been more interesting than nothing. Yeah, his he just uses the power of his fists. There's like nothing. There's no like um nothing clever about it. No, no. And we love Vox, but if you're gonna go through all this trouble of like having him stick around all this time and making us question that plot hole, yeah, at least give him more useful information. That's so true. He was being so vague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. So so yeah so as a monster as monsters go, you didn't you didn't find these monsters super super scary. I found them rather uninspired. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense then that we, we know that the artists were not inspired. Yeah, <laughs> right. Good info. Yeah, all checks out. Does their love stand the test of time? So in this movie, we have two love stories we can talk about. We can talk about Alexander and Emma. We can talk about Alexander and Mara. I can we talk about us and Vox. We can talk about us and Vox. Uh, we loved Emma. We were like, uh, Emma's a dreamboat. Beautiful, classic, like, oh, I'm fine with whatever the eccentricities of my yeah, partner. Yeah, I understand mm-hmm. that this is the way that he is, and it was, I forgive you. It was a romantic mm-hmm. proposal. Um, he says to her, I know we're meant to be together. It's the first thing in my life I've never had to think about. Oh, it's very sweet. It's a beautiful ring. We loved the ring. Uh, <laughs> and it's very sad. And then at the end, when um, Uber Morlock shows him this like fake future where he is just living in, in his house with Emma and these babies, I was like, can, just stay there. Just just hang out in this fake world with Emma and your babies. This seems lovely. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between this fake world and an alternate reality you would create where she is alive? Yeah, no, it's true. That's a very good point. He was already trying to create a different reality. So, yeah, just have that reality. Um, and then with Mara, it was the classic. We've seen this a few times. The classic, you're stuck here. This guy's now stuck here forever. So you can't ever break up with him. You must be with him forever because he stayed in 802,000 for you. Uh, so hopefully the sex is good. <laughs> it's basically like um, nine 900,000 uh, day fiance. There you go. Hey. hey. Uh, so. Yeah. I, I I didn't really feel like there was really much going on between him and Mara. Like there wasn't. There and was, they, they held hands at the end. There's yeah. There's no reason we know that they are now. But there was no, like, chemistry or anything. And also, her character was so poorly developed that, like, I didn't know anything about her. Yeah. Yeah. She healed him. She's his nurse. You know? Like, he likes her because she took care of him. And and she's also, like, the first person that he saw. So he, like, 
right. imprinted on her Twilight style. Like, real And weird. she's not wearing nearly as many clothes as the people in his own time. Yeah. Very good point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is he attracted to her or is he just excited that she's not wearing as many clothes? <laughs> yeah. So I think he and Emma, for, for however long they were, their love stood the test of time. I think that her death mm. doesn't end their love. No, I agree with that. Yeah. And he should have just like treasured the times he had with her and, and or lived in this fake world with her. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I hope the best for him and Mara. I don't really know where that world is headed, but I don't necessarily think their love stands the test of time. I don't know enough about either of their attractions to the other. Yeah. I just, I didn't care about her. Um, and I didn't care about their romance. They, they, because here's the thing. By the time we got to Mara in the movie, they had already um, decided that it was like an action thriller. And so the time for romance was over and we didn't get that relationship developed nearly at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I buy that. Absolutely. The lack of chemistry between them, the hand holding at the end seemed very weak. Yeah. Almost like, oh, we need to add something to show that there's romance. Right. Like, just, they don't have, hey, they don't have to be lovers. They don't, yeah. they could just be friends. Yeah. yeah. But I guess, I guess we, we buy that he would stay in this time period more if there's a chance for sex. <laughs> like, that's, that's true. That, that's it. Because that's otherwise true. you're like, wait, why is he just living in this time period now? Yeah. Which, like, he shouldn't be. Yeah. No, Go back to your own time. These are not your people. They don't need you. Go right. away. Yeah, for sure. Again, real Pocahontas vibes when they're holding hands standing together looking out at the cliff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that was like a direct. <laughs> maybe because he was a an animation director. Maybe he was like mm. pulling that as a direct reference. Easter egg. I mean, I guess, but the, that, the message of that story is not no. that John Smith should have stayed with Pocahontas. Definitely not. <laughs> he could be bringing diseases. For sure. Oh my God, you're right. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. He just actually single-handedly destroyed the Eli civilization. He sure did. All right. <laughs> Ladies, did, did we, we just time travel back to the 1950s? Or forward 800,000 years? <laughs> not not really. <laughs> no. Here, here I'll, I'll start off talking about, you know, this is all, all feminism is intersectional. We talk about all the politics here. First of all, all bitches be loving flowers. Bitches love flowers. Get a bitch a flower. <laughs> um, both Emma and Mara really wanted flowers. And he was very bad at getting yeah. getting them for them. Okay, so but just more seriously overall, very white. Say- this is not his culture. He comes in. He's trying to like tell them how to do their culture, which like we agree when he's like, why don't you guys fight back? Like we agree, but like. That's not, you just don't, just don't, just don't. Like he's saying that from the perspective of having seen everything for like two minutes and has decided that he is the only one who can fix it. It's very much like white college kids going to Africa and being like. But they also, I think that the styling of this movie is notable because Eloy people are brown skinned people. Yeah. Um, They have like sort of tones of Native American. Like there's not really... You know, they're moving into the future, so they're not, like, recalling any specific indigenous culture, but the, like, vibe is very, like, generic indigenous, which is not great. Right. Yeah. 
the this white guy comes in and tries to fix everything and they the casinos better. They have the appearance of indigenous people and are also considered the like lower class on this caste system. Right. Um, yeah, and he comes in and it's like, I will save you all. We're gonna fix it. Yeah. And then and then he goes and he talks to Jeremy Irons. He's like, Have you not considered the human cost of what it is you're doing? And Jeremy Irons says, We all pay a price. Who are you to question 800,000 years of evolution? And I'm like, yeah, who are you to question 800,000 years of evolution? <laughs> and also, we eat animals. Are we really, like, that much better than this guy who is eating what he considers to be another race of, yes, they're humans. Like, yes, they are more intelligent um, in a ways we can understand. But I'm, so, but it's a very, like, yeah, human-centric. We... we yeah, we eat they, other creatures to survive. They evolved his race, his uh, species essentially evolved to eat this species. So I'm right. not sure why it's like, yeah, it's just it's also hard because like in the book, there's clear, there's a clear, there's clear social things that can be corrected that created this bad thing that happens. Right, the book is is allegedly like a proponent for socialism because otherwise the aristocracy will just get more and more. The workers will get less and less and eventually and we will turn on each other right. as a species. We will turn on each other as a species. In this case, I guess it's, it, it's messages against climate change or trying to colonize the moon, but <sighs> it was yeah. just sort of like, I mean, in a way, you know, the haves, the people who could afford it or had like underground, but I don't know, whatever, a bunch of people were able to go underground. And I guess, I don't know how the Eli, Eloy people survived or like were reborn or, or whatnot. It's it not was one clear. of the plot holes that they, that in that part where we were like, no one's explaining anything that they left, they wanted to leave it like ambiguous about the class stuff because they didn't have an opinion on it, I think. Right. Their opinion is just cannibalism is bad, which, to be clear, is not an opinion I disagree with. (laughs) No, Paige is pro-cannibalism. I just think that, again, it's coming, this guy's coming in with a very 1903 view of, or in this case, 2002 view of the world, right? To this society he knows nothing about, and they have developed their own sort of ecosystem. and. Whether or not he agrees with it, it is not his business to, like, decide that his way is right and theirs is wrong. What's your take on it, Vince? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. And before I dive into it, I'll just say, you know, I'm a white straight male. So if that's the perspective I can come from. Um, I thought the... Yeah, so what do I want to unpack first? The... His, like, white savior, noble savage relationship is problematic. It's very Pocahontas. It's very fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to compare it to the book because I think, I think I buy it more in the book because the Eloi aren't presented as, like, humans as we know them. They're just, an, they're literally another species by this point. Mm-hmm. Right. But in the movie, they are presented as indigenous native people which does again doesn't make sense because the murlocs morlocs have become something that we don't recognize as human right exactly. they sort of unclear, it almost it's unclear why the eloys 
Well, in the book, both species have evolved to not sort of resemble humans as we know them now. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. In the right. movie, they were just like, they're humans with darker skin. And they're wearing beads. And it's like, oh my God. Like, yeah. that's such a lazy choice. Yeah. Even if it's 02, which was right. not a progressive time. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, there's that. Um, the 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 class stuff i was really digging in the book but it doesn't like helene i think you said it doesn't they don't make a strong choice in the movie okay so while we were talking about that i did pull up my kindle cloud reader on the internet um to see if i can find one of the passages that i think exemplifies the politics of the book at first, proceeding from the problems of our own age, it seemed clear as daylight to me that the gradual widening of the present merely temporary and social difference between the capitalist and the laborer was the key to the whole position. No doubt it will seem grotesque enough to you and wildly incredible, and yet even now there are existing circumstances to point that way. There is a tendency to utilize underground space for less ornamental purposes of civilization. There is the Metropolitan Railway in London, for instance. There are new electric railways. There are subways. There are underground workrooms and restaurants, and they increase and multiply. Evidently, I thought this tendency had increased till industry had gradually lost its birthright in the sky. I mean that it had gone deeper and deeper into larger and even larger underground factories, spending a still increasing amount of its time therein, till in the end. Even now, does not an East End worker live in such artificial conditions as practically to be cut off from the natural surface of the earth? Again, the exclusive tendency of richer people, due no doubt to the increasing refinement of their education, and the widening gulf between them and the rude violence of the poor, is already leading to the closing, in their interest, of considerable portions of the surface of the land. About London, for instance, perhaps half the prettier country is shut in against intrusion, and this same widening gulf, which is due to the length and expense of the higher educational process and the increased facilities for and temptations toward refined habits on the part of the rich, will make that exchange between class and class, that promotion by intermarriage, which at present retards the splitting of our species along lines of social stratification, less and less frequent. So in the end, above ground, you must have the haves, pursuing pleasure and comfort and beauty, and below ground, the have-nots, the workers getting continually adapted to the conditions of their labor. Once they were there, they would no doubt have to pay rent, and not a little of it, for the ventilation <laughs> of their caverns, and if they refused, they would starve or be suffocated for arrears. Such of them as were so constituted as to be miserable and rebellious would die, and in the end, the balance being permanent, the survivors would become as well adapted to the conditions of underground life and as happy in their way as the upper world people were to theirs. Yeah, so I feel like that's the, the that's that's the thesis of the time machine in a nutshell. Right. Basically, yeah. class stratification, as as it is in the late 1800s, is only going to continue to increase until we divide ourselves into two different species right. entirely Which, yes in this world the metaphor is borne out into a literal division between above ground and below ground which as he said has sort of already started even though now with global warming and in the movie it seems like the haves go underground versus stay above ground and the have-nots are above ground when in the book the haves are above ground mm -hmm. i think that would have been a far more memorable movie, interesting movie, compelling movie. <laughs> yeah. Because no. it actually flows from some kind of um, thought out structure rather than it just being like, how can we make these monsters scary and how can we uh, like make 
the time traveler into Indiana Jones. Like it, right. it's actually following some kind of thought experiment, which is the whole point of the time traveler. Yeah, but blockbuster yeah. movies can't say anything. Right. That's that's the that's what we're learning. <laughs> that's so funny you say that because this movie doesn't even say nothing well. It is. <laughs> It is. It says nothing poorly. Poorly. Like, it's just so vapid and fluffy with its love. It's like, yeah, nothing is flushed out, even poorly. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I, I think that about covers it. Yes. Yeah. Got yeah. anything else uh, socially? Uh, I'm good. I just, I just want to say I, that was the exact passage I also highlighted. Wow. Oh, what, what page is that on in the written work? In my edition, it's on page 66, 65 yeah, to 66. You guys are looking for it. <laughs> is, is it the best of times or the worst of times? So here's where we talk about if you should watch it, in what context, we rate it on our doomsday clock from the scale from noon, which is notoriously gouge your own eyes out before you watch this film. It is so bad to midnight, which is, it is very good. We like it the most that we could like it on this scale. Um, Paige, you're, I nominate you to go first. Um, okay. Throughout most of it, I would say I wasn't bored. And I, it was, it was, it was very watchable. It kept me entertained. I would say, honestly, I would say take the same amount of time, read the book. Yeah. Uh, personally. But you could watch it if you are into whatever we just described, you know, <laughs> like a nerdier Indiana Jones type situation with some problematic white savior elements. Really I'm going to go selling it. I'm going to go for the movie. I'm going to go three. I liked the book. Okay. I, I felt like it was fun. Yeah. I agreed. Agreed with Paige. Like it. It was watchable. It was visually nice. Uh, I liked the love story at the beginning. Um, I got a little bored towards the middle slash end. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. I would say if you are feeling like you need something time travel-y but also action-based, maybe you'd enjoy it. And (laughs) yeah. And like looking at pretty mountains. And looking at nice mountains and like quality set design. And a pretty and a pretty time machine. Yeah. Yeah. Vince. Well, um, my final two thoughts before I get into ratings. One is in the book uh, regarding monsters. There's like a whole last chapter where he goes so far in the future. There are giant crabs walking around. Yes, that's and, cool. And attack his time machine. And I was like, <laughs> where was that in the movie? They needed that in the movie. <laughs> Second thought, um, considering our protagonist is from the late 1800s, I would have far, I would have enjoyed it far more had this been Hugh Jackman's character in Kate and Leopold <laughs> going. Just Hugh Jackman playing this guy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. But I, I thought that would have been a, yeah, I would have enjoyed that more. Yeah. So then for Camp Kaiju, how I rate films Ooh. are on, like, first rate is just classic. Second rate is not a classic movie, but it, it stands the test of time. You're right. You could still watch it. Mm-hmm. Third, 
the third is, you know, it has some good moments. It has some fun moments. But, like, as a whole, artistically, yada, yada, it doesn't stand the test of time. Time. And then the last rating is not worth your time at all. <laughs> like, this is just a nuts to soup. It was a terrible movie. Um, Soup to nuts. So I like nuts to soup better. <laughs> you should just end with soup. What is soup to nuts? Can we let's unpack that for a minute? What does soup turn into nuts? Nobody knows, Paige. You just have to accept it. Go ahead. Um. So yeah, so this movie I think has a lot of fun moments for a lot of reasons you just said, but I don't think it stands the test of time because I think it's largely uninspired. It 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 is problematic with its quote unquote native portrayals. Yeah, because they're not, you know, human natives as we know them. Um, I think Guy Pierce is a bad actor, and and some of the CGI doesn't hold up. So, but you know, like you said, it's fun and breezy. But I think there are better time travel movies and movies in general to watch. I think I'd give it a a four was my initial rating on the clock, mm-hmm. but I could go three as well. Maybe maybe a three thirty just to split the difference. Yeah, three thirty. And so three thirty on the Doomsday Clock and third rate on the Camp Kaiju scale. Right. It's not unwatchable, but yeah. it's forgettable. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. I think I think we're all in agreement here. Yeah. And maybe in six months we'll watch the nineteen sixties one. Yeah, maybe. But there's no <laughs> romance in that one, so I don't oh, know if we can well, count it. Maybe we'll watch it and talk about it on um, Vince's. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe if we're invited. <laughs> I well, I gotta return the favor, so absolutely. <laughs> we'd love to. Yes, <laughs> we accept. Um, <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us, Vince. Yes. Um, would you like to uh, tell people where they can find you? Uh, what what you're yeah. working on? Anything like that? Your channel. Yeah. So um, mostly Instagram, just at camp underscore kaiju check us out. I post reviews weekly. I post video reviews weekly. And in October, my theme is, I have a theme every month, is turn out the lights. So I'm diving into black and white classic monster movies. And then after that, you know, I'll I'll be back, but be back more into like traditional giant monster movies. Yeah. I'm also on Letterboxd. Do you two have a Letterboxd? No, you know no I don't know what that is. We don't is. know what that is. <laughs> We're very cool and professional. I only discovered it myself. So Letterboxd, with a D at the end, is like a Spotify for movies in the way that you can like... Oh, I did hear about this from a, a work friend recently. Yeah, so you're not streaming or anything, but you can rate and catalog every movie you watch on oh, a five-star cool. system. You can read other people's reviews. You like Goodreads. Yeah, them. like Goodreads yeah, exactly. for movies. Got it. Cool. That's a better example. Yeah. That's fun. So yeah. so yeah, I'm on Letterboxd at Camp Kaiju as well. Awesome. And if you mm-hmm. want to go back into the uh, archives and see some uh, Helena Vince collaboration, <laughs> you can check out a special report, which is on Vince's other channel, Mischief Tales. Uh, last year, Vince helped me and uh, my dear friend Deirdre produce our web series, uh, Special Report. So it's, very it's a trip. Yeah, is that is there time? Eh, 
you mess no, with no there's monsters there's, monster. there's, there's definite monsters there's spoiler oh, alert right. there's a ghost there's vampires i don't think we have any witches and there's like a mysterious force so there's a werewolf there's a werewolf yeah oh. so, yeah. yeah it's a good time for sure <laughs> or you can well, just go watch what was the show you were in together uh you were in the tempest right yeah. yeah, go back in time, what, like five years, and go yeah. watch The Tempest in Hartwood, Maine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you'll see another Vince Helena collaboration. Yeah, it's true. Who were you in The Tempest, Vince? I was Alonzo. Oh, the king. Alonzo. The king. King. King Alonzo. King Alonzo. See, I know things. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. uh, with that, I'd say... We'll be back in no time at 